Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Uh, I am not Pastor Cole. Just in case you thought maybe you got a new haircut, so not, not, not him at all. Uh, my name is Tom Chamberlain. I am on staff here at Riverwood. And uh, I have the privilege and honor to serve in our adult discipleship ministry. And uh, I've been absolutely loving and enjoying every single minute of it. Um, But Pastor Cole gave me this opportunity to preach God's word today. And I uh, do not take that lightly at all. Uh, But with fear and trembling, I come before you and I'm excited to hear what he has to say to all of us today. Uh, But if you have not been here, maybe you're new here to Riverwood or maybe you've missed the last couple of weekends. Uh, We are currently, I'm just going to give you an overview real quick of what we are doing this summer. We're studying uh, Psalm 119. That's going to be our sermon series. And Psalm 119 is kind of unique in scripture because it's an acrostic poem. And it's originally written in the Hebrew language. Uh, And since there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, there are 22 strophes or stanzas uh, that we are going to be looking at for the whole summer. Uh, Today, we're going to look at the letters 8 and 9, which are het and tet of uh, the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, Each of these uh, strophes consists of eight lines to them. So for us, eight verses, each of the total that we're going to be looking at uh, today. If you want to, go ahead and open your Bible to Psalm 119. We are going to be looking at verses 57 through 72. Uh, But before we get into reading God's Word and studying it, I'm going to throw some stats to you uh, that relate to our society, things that we can have a tendency to maybe find our trust in. So let me kind of throw this out. Let me ask you a question first. How many of you... Uh, How many people do you think in the U.S. have a 401k? How many? You throw out a number. 30? I hear 30. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There are actually actually, uh, 60 million people in the U.S. that have a 401k. And you might be thinking, well, that's not a lot because there's over 300 million people in the U.S. But this is only one form, right, of an investment for retirement. Uh, The total assets of that is actually $7.3 trillion. That's a lot of money. There's uh, 85 million people in the U.S. that own a house. There are currently 11.4 million jobs available in the U.S. There's probably more. So there's possibilities. There's opportunities. How many self-help books do you think there are? Just (laughs) self-help. Do you all have a lot? Is that what you're trying to say? How many do you think? Millions, right. There are actually 18.6 million, just self-help. And every year, they produce 6 million new self-help books. And in the whole world, we have over 2 million podcasts that we can access anywhere and everywhere. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong, right, with these benefits to our society and other societies. But they're merely that. They are of our society. So that means... They're unstable. They're insufficient. They're passing as fast as they have come. So I want you to bookmark that. Psalm 119, 57 through 72 reads, The Lord is my portion 
I promise to keep his words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think of my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Now, if you're someone who wants to know the lay of the land, where we are going this morning, I've got you covered, okay? We are going to be, I have a, I'm posing a question, and we're going to answer that question as we look at his word. The question is, how do you know God is trustworthy? Now, before we answer that, I don't want to assume just because you're here or you're a Christian that you deem God to be trustworthy. For instance, my wife, Jen, and I, we've experienced three miscarriages prior to having our daughter. After five years of us trying to address the matter medically, we, we decided it wasn't in God's plan. One month after we threw a proverbial hands up, we were pregnant with Peyton. I can tell you this, we rarely prayed together about getting pregnant. We rarely went to God's word for comfort and understanding. Instead, we pumped our fists at God and tried harder. What was happening inside of us were hearts turning towards circumstantial satisfaction. In other words, all, we will, all will be better once we have that child. These are hearts that didn't trust God, but hearts that trust God when it was convenient to us. I would have to guess for a majority of us here that your life maybe hasn't gone the way you thought it was going to go. Or you are currently experiencing something that makes you ask this same question, how do I know God is trustworthy? And I believe I can assume this because the world is fallen. So life throws curveballs and we experience sadness and hardships, which prompt us to doubt and feel unsure, maybe unsure with who God says he is. Unsure if he knows our pain, listens to our prayers, or even if he can really love someone like me. So let me ask you, is, it, is this question worth asking when considering this passage? Or should I just assume we all trust God always and delight in his word as always and all of his ways just as the psalmist of 119 does? I pose this question out of these reasons because I know I'm not alone in my doubt 
For I am stopped by, in my tracks when I read the first verse in this het traf, or het troph. Verse 57, it says, the Lord is my portion. In other words, the psalmist is saying, I am God's and he is mine. He is the one in which I trust and all my hope is in. It is not my spouse. It is not my career, my hobbies, or my dreams. No, it's in God. The verse causes me to pause because I live in a society, we live in a society, this does not have to be true. It's very easy for us to convince ourselves it doesn't have to be true. We live in America where we have access to incredible medical care, pleasures, money, endless possibilities. And can I honestly say, as as the psalmist says in verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Do I really believe God's word and who he says he is to be more precious, more valuable than my 401k? Well, maybe my 401k, because it's not here. (laughs) Or my job, my gifts, my talents, my health. There are times, yes, I, I can personally, and I think you probably can. But I want to be able to wholeheartedly say, the Lord is my portion. He is trustworthy, no matter what comes my way. So can we agree to ask and answer the question, how do I know God is trustworthy? Assuming we don't deem him trustworthy in all areas of our life. I'm actually going to give you the answer to the question, because I believe it will even come more alive as we study God's word. So the question, how do we know God is trustworthy? The answer, we must study God's word with a teachable heart so that when affliction comes, it helps us believe God's word. The first part of this answer, we must trust or we must study, derives from verses 57 and 60 where it states, I promise to keep your words. I hasten do not to keep your words. For the psalmist to make such a statement, he had to know God's word to be able to keep it. He can't keep something he doesn't have. So he had to study it to know it and know it quite well. His statutes, his commands, his precepts, the Bible is more than just a record of God's words over the ages. For it possesses power as stated by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Another key word to this answer is teachable. We must study God's word with a teachable heart. If you look at all the personal statements both strophes possess, you will quickly see that the psalmist had a teachable spirit. He did not just read God's word, but he studied it in hopes to know it so well that he deemed it more precious than the valuables of this world. Verse 57 says, I promise to keep your words. 59, I turn my feet to your testimonies. 60, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. 61, I do not forget your law. 62, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. 64, teach me your statutes. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. Now I keep your word. 68, teach me your statutes again. 69, with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. 
I delight in your law. I might learn your statutes. In 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than a thousand gold and silver pieces. This is a posture of someone. It's a posture of someone who knows God's word because he knows it benefits him more than anything else. It is made certain through affliction, which we see in verse 71. So let me ask you this. Do you read God's word or do you study God's word? Do you read it to find a nugget to help you through the day or an answer to that question? Or do you immerse yourself in it every day? More than that podcast that you're anticipating the new episode to drop or that news article or that encouraging word from that person that you respect. And don't mishear me. There's nothing wrong with those things. But do you possess the same readiness and emotions for God's word? And if not, why not? In other words, are you teachable? Do you study God's word in hopes to be taught, to be corrected, to be trained for righteousness? So how do I know God's, God is trustworthy? First, you have to possess a teachable heart, a readiness, a willingness to be told otherwise after reading it and then changing your course of decision-making. This is what the psalmist did in the following Verses. Verse 58, he, the psalmist, he knew God and prayed accordingly. I entreat your favor, he says, with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Another way, the psalmist prayed a persuasive plead, earnestly that God would be gracious, merciful to him, not because he hoped God would, but because through God's promises, His word, he learned that God is a merciful God. So he prayed with a confidence, not a confidence in himself or a confidence in his circumstances, but a confidence in a merciful God who loves him and will show him mercy according to his word, his will, and for his good. Verse 59 and 66, he knew God as a source of good. When the psalmist was interested in his hopes and dreams or doing what was best in his eyes, he didn't go with his own conclusions. Yet rather, he turned his feet towards God's testimonies because he believed in God's commandments as a good knowledge and judgment. Pastor Cole referenced an individual from men's Bible, or my, or sorry, prayer time last week, and this individual confessed that when hardships come, right, when decisions have to be made, he has a tendency to want to fix it, take control, guilty. Anyone who knows me and is close to me, they know I'm a fixer. But boy, do I long to be as a psalmist, to catch myself, thinking about what to do next, and instead turn my feet towards God's word as a source of good judgment and knowledge. Because when I do that, I possess a teachable heart, believing that God is trustworthy. And if I don't, aren't I questioning his trustworthiness? Or maybe I just don't have a teachable heart. Either way, 
It's not worthy of the call that God has set before me. Verse 61, the psalmist, he knew God and remembered his truths. So what about temptations when sin trips you and me up, as, the, as it's stated in 61? When we study God's word with a teachable heart, we learn who God is. We pray according to who he is and not according to how we feel. Time after time, my years of ministry, I've come across Christians who have not fully identified with Christ. But rather by the things that have happened to them or the mistakes that they have had made or they will make. Their identity is wrapped up, or as the psalmist says, they're ensnared by the sins of the world rather than by God's law. Christian, you are free to live in freedom that has been given to you through the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ has sacrificed for your sins, so stop trying to crucify him again. We can know God and remember his truths. Verse 62, he knew God and worshiped him. Has anyone ever had a restless night? No, just a couple, no? How have you dealt with it? You don't want to admit that one, huh? I encourage you, all of us today, that the next time you have a restless night that you don't get that midnight snack, turn on that TV show, or read that book, but rather meditate, think upon who God is, and then thank him for who he is, and then seek him out asking, asking him who it is that he, you could be praying for, and then pray for that individual. As you pray, you enter back into that sleep, praising God as the psalmist did in 62. Verse 63, we, he uh, knew God and was unified. John 17, 21, leading up to his death, Jesus prayed this to his heavenly father, that they may all be one. He prayed that us, the body of Christ, would be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that we, the world may believe that you have sent me. You and me are companions of the gospel, the church of Jesus Christ who reveres God and his precepts. We are not alone on our journey. No matter how alone you feel, you have your brothers and sisters in Christ. Just look around. The God was gracious enough to psalm, the psalmist in the midst of exile and hardships to have community, or at the very least, remind him that he is not alone and that there's others that are facing hardships and possibly even worse. God has answered his persuasive plea to be gracious to him by bringing about encouragement and remembrance that he and his brothers and sisters in Christ are one in God, that this world is temporary along with his highs and lows. So lean on one another care for one another as the first century church cared for each other where there were no needs and build up one another as stated in Romans 14, 19. Don't deceive yourself in convincing yourself that you are alone. 
For keep God's word close as, you, as a reminder that you aren't alone and ask for help and go care for others. Verse 64, he knew God as love. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. This is common grace. The psalmist could see that God's love was throughout the whole world. But being a child of God, he knew he was more loved than them. A love that is not subject to this world or what, we can, what he can get from us is unconditional. It's an everlasting love from an everlasting God through an everlasting sacrifice and an everlasting seal of the Holy Spirit. This is love, a love that never lets go and won't let you fall away. So do you deem God to be trustworthy? Back to our original question, how do we know God to be trustworthy? You study God's word with a teachable heart, as we see here in verse, the last eight verses. The psalmist possessed a teachable heart, studied God's word to know God as a good God worthy of his trust. But it comes to a culmination in verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. So you might be asking, are you saying afflictions help me know God? Afflictions are good? According to scripture, yeah. The first row, we see how we must have a teachable heart as we study God's word. But to what end? So that we believe God's word and what it says about God, which is accomplished through affliction. When we get to apply this knowledge, so the second serif is where we get our second half to this answer. So how do we know affliction helps you and me believe in God's word? The psalmist answers this in verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. In the first strophe, we learn that the psalmist knew God's word, God's word and therefore he knew God as the word described him to be. But in verse 71, we learn that it wasn't until his afflictions, his trials, his hardships, that he learned God's word. You see, we can study or we can read and study God's word and only possess head knowledge, easily deceiving ourselves that we know God, which is best revealed when hardships hit, and they will. Suffering is part of life because we live in a sinful world, as stated in Job 5.7. Man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. But these hardships aren't always contingent of the fallen world, but also for correction, as displayed in verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. The psalmist is admitting that he had had knowledge of God's word and he trusted in his own judgment and knowledge. But now, through his affliction, he obeys God's word. This was even true of Jesus. In Hebrews 5.8, it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. 
Suffering can also be constructive, as stated in Romans, 3, or Romans 5, 3, and 4. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character hope. Or in other words, godliness. And lastly, affliction is brought about for God's glory, which is why we're all here. As Jesus explained in John 9, 3, that the blind man was not blind because of sin, but rather that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So Jesus heals him, which brought about glory to God as the healer of the physical and the spiritual. It is through affliction, small and grand, that we come to know God's word and him in a deeper way. The great theologian of the Reformation, Martin Luther, puts it this way. I never knew the meaning of God's word until I came into affliction. If you know anything about him, he went through a lot of affliction. I have always found it one of my best schoolmasters. Through affliction, God's word is made real, and our understanding of him grows deeper. To the point our perspective of this world and God are no longer defined of what we can see, feel, or touch the hardships of this life, but rather by who he says he is. And then, like the psalmist, we can conclude that God is good. There are five lines in this strophe that start with the word good. And this is intentional on the psalmist by the psalmist because he wanted to emphasize his concluding thoughts about God and his word. So the strophe is actually best translated as 65. Good you did, Yahweh, with your servant according to your word. 66, good discernment and knowledge, teach me, because in your commandments I trust. 68, good you are, and you cause good to happen. Teach me your statutes. 71, good for me it was that I was afflicted so that I might learn your statutes. 72, good for me the instruction of your mouth, more than thousands of gold and silver pieces. See, in verse 65, the psalmist has experienced God's goodness. Past tense. 68, God is good in the present, revealed in his affliction, which was good. Verse 71, he deems God's word to be good for judgment and knowledge and better, more good than valuable things of this world has to offer. Verse 66 and 72. So let me ask you the question again. How do I, how do you, how do we know God is trustworthy? We must study God's word with a teachable heart so that when affliction comes, it helps us believe God's word. When we approach God with word in a humble posture, a teachable heart, study it in hopes to be corrected and changed so that when trials and hardships come, we learn that God does love us and he is good. According to his word says, the psalmist knew God was trustworthy, but he didn't realize how much he needed to trust him until affliction came. So if you're currently facing trials, I'm sorry for the pain that you 
are going through. But can I ask you two more questions? I love questions. Okay, maybe three, because that's a question in itself. Are the afflictions helping you know God? Are the afflictions helping you know God? And however you answer that question, my last question is, why? Why? Look, we are all very, very, very busy people. But we must make time for God's word. Even if it means that we have to give something up, or we have to get up earlier, or we have to do both, may it be the first thing you grab in the morning, or when you need guidance, or when hardships come. Not the phone to check the weather, or read the news, or even that Christian book, or a text from that trusty friend. May it be God's word, the source of good judgment and knowledge that is more precious than gold and silver, the lifeline to knowing God as a good and loving father, one worthy for our trust. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it, it teaches us about you. Because if we were just lent to not having your word and we, all, all we had to do was just to have what took place in our life, it would be easy for us to go define you according to our circumstances. But through your word, you have told us who you are. And so I pray through the work of your spirit, you help us trust you. And may we be intrigued and fall in love and delight, as the psalmist does, for your word. Thank you for the way that you love us through your word and through your son, Jesus Christ. In your name, amen.